hello, and welcome back to the Dead Poets Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the last two episodes so far. If you have a favorite poem from what we've read here, go ahead and let me know. I'd love to hear what you think. As we venture into these next few months, I would love to challenge you to intentionally slow down and let yourself feel the moments that are usually glossed over or or sped past. It's so easy to charge headlong into the Christmas season and get tunnel vision on lists and papers and stores and spending and really just miss out on some entire experiences that we would just shove out into the peripheral view of life. So let's practice slowing down and enjoying the moments. It can help strengthen our gratitude for all the blessings we've received, and can even help us discover blessings we never noticed before. Just wanted to say that before we got into our episode today. The first poem of our time today is by American poet Edgar Lee Masters. Masters was born August 23, 1868 in Garnet, Kansas. Shortly after, his family moved to Lewiston, Illinois, where he spent his childhood. Masters expressed his desire to be a poet early in his years, but his father was against it and instead sent him to law school. Masters actually did become a lawyer like his father and grew a successful practice. He was actually partners with Clarence Darrow for eight years, I believe. All the while, though, he longed for something more for his life, and he published several poems under pseudonyms throughout this whole time. Having been influenced by several English poets and by Poe, Masters wrote many poems in a combination of realism, free verse, epitaph, and and different meters. This poem, George Gray, appeared in the book Spoon River Anthology. Spoon River Anthology was a collection of poems and monologues written through the eyes and voices of those buried in an Illinois graveyard in his hometown. In the poem, the speaker contemplates post-mortem the irony of his headstone, a sailboat. He reflects on his safe and comfortable life, free of risk or injury, and compares it to his headstone, a sailboat chiseled from marble. The symbol of freedom and adventure, stationary, never to leave the port. Here is George Gray. I have studied many times the marble which was chiseled for me, a boat with a furled sail at rest in a harbor. In truth, it pictures not my destination, but my life. For love was offered me, and I shrank from its disillusionment. Sorrow knocked at my door, but I was afraid. Ambition called to me, but I dreaded the chances. Yet all the while I hungered for meaning in my life. And now I know that we must lift the sail and catch the winds of destiny wherever they drive the boat. To put meaning in one's life may end in madness, but without meaning it is the torture of restlessness and vague desire. It is a boat longing for the sea and yet afraid. Can you hear the longing and regret in George Gray's words? Masters paints us a picture of what we might feel like at the end of our days if we remain too hesitant or too afraid to live out our dreams. Masters himself quit law and spent the rest of his life writing poems. He even wrote plays, some novels, and biographies. 
Some of his biographies were about Lincoln, Twain, and Walt Whitman. At the end of his life, he had published over 40 books and was awarded numerous awards from the Poetry Society of America and the Shelley Memorial Award. The next author, some of you may or may not be more familiar with, because he is from more recent times. Shel Silverstein was a poet, a cartoonist, and a singer-songwriter. Silverstein was born in Chicago on September 25, 1930. He published some of the most famous children's books of the 20th century, such as Where the Sidewalk Ends, The Giving Tree, and A Light in the Attic. I didn't know this until doing a little more research, but he actually wrote A Boy Named Sue for Johnny Cash, The Unicorn for the Irish Rovers, and Queen of the Silver Dollar for Emmylou Harris. Some of his poems are rather short, as they were written for children's books, but you can still easily understand how they're equally meant for adults. I will actually read a few of his poems here for you. This first one reminds me of my daughter, Rosie, because she's about 10 months now and she's already starting to get into everything. It seems to me that this poem might be a little bit of foreshadowing of what's to come. It's called Dirty Face. Where did you get such a dirty face, my darling dirty face child? I got it from crawling along the dirt and biting two buttons off Jeremy's shirt. I got it from chewing the roots of a rose and digging for clams in the yard with my nose. I got it from peeking into a dark cave and painting myself like a Navajo brave. I got it from playing with coal in the bin and signing my name in cement with my chin. I got it from rolling around on the rug and giving the horrible dog a big hug. I got it from finding a lost silver mine and eating sweet blackberries right off the vine. I got it from ice cream and wrestling in tears, and having more fun than you've had in years. Perhaps his most famous poem, Where the Sidewalk Ends, depicts a harsh world full of busyness and responsibilities, and the escape of it all to a world without pressure or worries, through the perspective of children, who know how to get there, but as adults, we must have forgotten. There is a place where the sidewalk ends and before the street begins, and there the grass grows soft and white, and there the sun burns crimson bright, and there the moon bird rests from his flight to the cool peppermint wind. Let us leave this place where the smoke blows black and the dark street winds and bends. Past the pits where the asphalt flowers grow, we shall walk with a walk that is measured and slow and watch where the chalk white arrows go to the place where the sidewalk ends. Yes, we'll walk with a walk that is measured and slow, and we'll go where the white chalk arrows go, for the children they mark and the children they know, the place where the sidewalk ends. Lastly, I'll read you of somewhat of a longer poem that Silverstein wrote that spans the lifetime of an unnamed boy and his relationship with a tree who loves him very much. It's speculated that in this piece, the tree actually represents the selflessness of a parent loving their child and struggling to understand how they can communicate their love to an ever-changing child 
that doesn't always appreciate their relationship. Here is the giving tree. Once there was a tree, and she loved a little boy. And every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples. And they would play hide-and-go-seek, and when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. And the boy loved the tree very much, and the tree was happy. But time went by, and the boy grew older, and the tree was often alone. Then one day the boy came to the tree, and the tree said, Come, boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples and play in my shade and be happy. I am too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want some money. I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. I only have leaves and apples. Take my apples, boy, and sell them in the city. Then you will have money and you will be happy. And so the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time, and the tree was sad. And then one day, the boy came back, and the tree shook with joy, and she said, Come, boy, climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I am too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm, he said. I want a wife, and I want children, and so I need a house. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house. But you may cut off my branches and build a house. Then you will be happy. And so the boy cut off her branches and carried them away to build a house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy she could hardly speak. Come, boy, she whispered. Come and play. I am too old and sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you will sail away and be happy. So the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away. And the tree was happy but not really. After a long time, the boy came back again. I am sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I am too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I am too tired to climb, said the boy. I am sorry, sighed the tree. I wish that I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I am just an old stump. I am sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I am very tired. Well, said the tree, 
straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down. Sit and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. Silverstein passed away in May of 1999 from a heart attack in Key West, Florida. His poem, When I Am Gone, gave his readers a new responsibility for after his death. When I am gone, what will you do? Who will write and draw for you? Someone smarter, someone new, someone better, maybe you. This last poem that we'll hear today is by Anne Dudley Bradstreet. She was the first and most prominent female poet in the New World. Anne was born in England in 1612, and although she did not have a formal education, her father taught her everything he knew about literature. Before she came to America, she had already read Virgil, Homer, Plutarch, Seneca, and many other ancient writers and philosophers. When she was 16, she married Simon Dudley, and they joined the other Puritans on their quest to the New World a few years later in 1630. She initially was not happy to be there, but after joining the Puritan Church in Boston, she found a deeper appreciation for her life and circumstances and started centering some of her poems around her gratitude to God for salvation. Her poems often reflect her struggle between her attachments to the world and her longing to live a sanctified and fulfilled life in the New England colonies. Somehow, even though she had eight children to raise in a tiny New England home, she found the time to create and publish numerous incredible poems revolving around life, struggles, religion, and emotion. This poem, called By Night When Others Soundly Slept, encapsulates her communication of gratitude to God for her salvation. By night when others soundly slept, and hath at once both ease and rest, my waking eyes were open kept, and so to lie I found it best. I sought him whom my soul did love, with tears I sought him earnestly. He bowed his ear down from above, in vain I did not seek or cry. My hungry soul he filled with good, he in his bottle put my tears, my smarting wounds washed in his blood, and banished thence my doubt and fears. What to my Savior shall I give, who freely hath done this for me? I'll serve him here whilst I shall live, and love him to eternity. In 1644, she and her family moved to Andover, Mass., where she lived and wrote and worked until she died in 1672 at the age of 60. Six years later, the first American version of her poetry compilation, Tenth Muse, was published and made a profound positive impact on the American colonies. Anne Bradstreet was a seriously incredible person, having all those kids struggling in the new world 
and still being able to write complex poems touching on profound human emotion and struggle is a feat worthy of recognition. And that wraps it up for us today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you shared the link to this show with your friends who may enjoy it as well. It's really fun, but it does take quite a bit of time putting this all together, so I love hearing from people who've enjoyed the show. See you all next week, and remember, no matter what anyone tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Carpe diem. Make your lives extraordinary.